Whose house? House's house. Welcome to the Blackcast. I am Christian Blatt on Twitter, at ChristianDMZ, joined by Captain EO on Twitter, at Jeff DeRay. Say hello, uh, Captain EO. I realized I didn't uh, get a chance to chat with you at all the last episode. It's all right. You're just neglecting me, like you do your son. Son. <laughs> son. Uh, it doesn't quite ring a bell. Oh, Felix. Yeah, I'll get to him eventually. Uh, Agent Starling continues to be on assignment, but follow him at Will Sterling underscore. Updates on Coltrane at Coltrane Leaks. Don't forget to follow at Blackcast on Twitter. Like the Blackcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, by the way, on Facebook. You can always go to Blackcast.com for the latest. Joined here in the studio by friend of the Blackcast, friend of the Dennis Miller Show, all-around friend, Michael Hausen, on Twitter at M-P-House-H-A-U-S. Welcome back to the show, Hausen. Well, it is a privilege to be here. You know, I, I got to ask you. Yes, was that your choice yes. uh, for the English beat, or is that because you knew that I went to their concert two weeks ago? Oh, it's my choice because I knew you went to the concert two weeks ago because I saw you posted it. Okay. And uh, that's a uh, very Andrew Breitbartian selection, the English beat, by the way. So uh, that was in his wheelhouse of bands that he loved. He loved a lot of bands from that era, so I was very excited to see you there. How was the show? Don't, you know, don't give us a in-depth review but was it good well they first started out with <laughs> no i'm kidding uh i have seen dave wakeling actually lives a lead singer he's lived in dana point for probably 20 years oh it's crazy i didn't even know that yeah um yeah right after general public blew up he moved to orange county and i've probably seen them seven or eight times in the last 20 years hugely influential band i, I can still remember it man Early 1983, a buddy of mine said... All right, thanks, Hazem. Uh, I was waiting for you to yeah, cut me off. I know. You wanted the Swami. The journey home. No, we, but we don't have it's the Swami. It's a book about. In any case, uh, we're also joined by friend of the Black Cast, friend of the Dennis Miller Show, Christian Toto, editor of HollywoodandToto.com and on Twitter at HollywoodandToto. Christian, thank you for making the time to come on back to the Black Cast so we can chat a little more. Well, I'm ignoring my kids right now, so that's perfect timing, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Hausam has five kids, by the way. So nice. there are a lot of children. Christian, how many do you have? Just two. Okay, so there's a total of eight children being ignored right now so that we could do this. <laughs> so I hope that everybody that's downloaded and is listening well, part, to this appreciates Part of the it. key, guys, part of the key to successfully parenting multiple children Yeah. With one kid, you certainly don't know this, and maybe Christian with two, you do. Part of the key is the ability to ignore them. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only way you get through it, guys. Yeah. And also, when they're in group therapy together, they can all commiserate. They can all bring up the same thing. I was, you know, unloved and uncared for. Oh, yeah. Exactly. They, have, they have a lot in common. Now, uh, Christian, when we talked last, uh, we kind of went out talking about The Hateful Eight, and uh, we kind of gave our thoughts on it. Uh, our friend, Mr. Hausam, heard that, and he wants to chime in, but I don't know. I'm going to ask you, Christian Toto, if you think he's allowed to have an opinion, because he fell asleep for, what, 20 minutes in the first act? Was that correct, Hausam? Just say yes or no. Yes. Don't wait for the translation. Okay, so yes. Uh, Christian, is he allowed to have an opinion if he slept through 20 minutes of a movie? Yes, because I wish I slept through 30 minutes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great answer. Thank you, Christian. Perfect uh, answer. So, uh, Hausam, from what you did see, what did you think of The Hateful Eight? Uh, I thought that uh, a few different things. I thought that Jennifer Jason Lee did a really good job. She was I fantastic. I enjoyed yeah. watching her. I did think it was pretty awesome 
that she spent a significant portion of the second act with brains in her hair. <laughs> thought that Very was interesting. True. I did think that uh, the um, basically the only contribution that Tim Roth made was, gosh, I want to see Reservoir Dogs again as he just kind of laid in a ball and circled around. For the last that's true. Minutes. No, hey, I, I I've thought that the last several Tarantino movies. I'm like, oh yeah, I should really watch Reservoir Dogs again, but I haven't in quite some time actually. So, but uh, on the whole, you're not a fan, Housem, is what you're saying. So, no, I, you know what? It, it was funny. I saw it with two friends of mine, and we came out and we were joking that our guess would have been that Tarantino won a bet against Weinstein who wanted a 90-minute, tightly directed, with some action, <laughs> something that people would be interested in. Weinstein lost the bet, and Tarantino said, screw you. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. I want to see... It. Success for Tarantino, I think, as a result of winning that bet, would be the number of people that didn't go back in after the first act and the intermission started. Well... I could have used a longer movie. I would have, as I said to Christian last time, I would have enjoyed more talking in the stagecoach. I felt like they kind of figured it out too quickly in the second act. Let me turn to my esteemed colleague, Captain EO, on Twitter, at Jeff Duray, D-U-R-A-Y. Jeff, you enjoyed Hateful Eight, did you not? I did enjoy it. I thought it was fascinating. In fact, you spent your Christmas with Hateful Eight, didn't Christmas you? Eve, yes. Christmas Eve. All right, same difference. And uh, you were talking about the 70 millimeter. Well, the projection broke down while I was watching it. So I had to watch it in bullshit digital projection. <laughs> oh, no. That's garbage. basically wanted to fucking kill myself. <laughs> but it's cool. I got through it. You got uh, through it. <laughs> uh, funny part about like leaving during intermission, I could have gotten my money back if I left during intermission. But they were like, if you go back in, screw you. And I was like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess I need to finish this yeah, movie because I have, have to, no answers right now. Yeah, I mean, you would have had to watch the you would have watched the first part again at some point. So yeah, you might as well. So, uh, what did you guys think? Uh, the, the best thing about the whole movie, I thought, was Walt Goggins. I thought he was amazing. What did you guys think? He was good, but he wasn't the best thing about the movie. The best thing about that movie was Samuel Jackson, who was mm -hmm. a tour de force. He's not someone that I always like in everything. I thought he was great. The story that he tells at the end of the first part of the movie is amazing. And, you know, that's like, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning Broadway stage caliber delivery and i know it's movie so it's edited so it can look better than it actually was on the day but that's besides the point i thought he was great um the guy you're talking about goggins he's okay no, he's I just right. i, I right. love watching that guy christian toto our guest who we're neglecting on the phone uh did you pull away from you know i know that you didn't particularly like the movie did you like any of the individual performances did you feel that it redeemed it on some level I'd say you needed that movie to be three hours because they had to squeeze in 16 close the door, don't close the door, the door's broken jokes. <laughs> they just got funnier as went along. <laughs> I'm on Team Goggins. If you watch Justified, you know, he's a brilliant actor. And it's actually, I think when I think about Walton Goggins and also Timothy Oliphant, I'm thinking, boy, Hollywood doesn't know how to make these two guys movie stars. What give? So at least Tarantino put Goggins in the movie. I don't think it was a great part for him. I mean, yeah, he was perfectly fine. I just didn't jump out at me as much as any individual arc on Justified did with him. But, uh, yeah, listen, I had no problems with any performances. I do think that as good as Sam Jackson was, and he's always good, it felt a little bit like Samuel Jackson wandered onto the set and started riffing as if it was the year 2015 and a half. 
it didn't feel <laughs> tied to the era as much as I hoped it would. It just, there's something about the attitude that was very 21st century, and maybe that's just. It's not something that I thought about, but it's a. Uh, you know, it's a look. It's a valid point. Look, we could talk about. I want to ask one question. Yeah, about go ahead. Doggins. Better as Chris Mannix or as that tranny on Sons of Anarchy? <laughs> <laughs> Don't even challenge that. Come on. You can't pick that. It's like picking what's your favorite kid. <laughs> the, the tranny in Sons of Anarchy. It was just, my, my buddy had only seen him in that before and didn't realize that it was actually a guy. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Did you have a long talk with your friend after that? Wait, what was that, Christian Toto? Those lead press on nails didn't give it away? <laughs> Not quite. Well, look, we could talk about that three-hour movie for another three hours, but uh, let's move on to a movie that just came out over this past weekend. Uh, neither Michael nor myself have had a chance to see it, but I know that you saw it, Christian. Talk about 13 Hours. Well, you start with it's a Michael Bay movie, and then, of course, you get the kind of the, sh- the shudders, the chills going up and down your spine for all the wrong reasons. This is the guy who gave us the Transformers and Pearl Harbor and some other movies that are part fun and kind of part schlocky. But I have to give him credit. This is a very serious subject matter, and he mostly was able to rise to the occasion. This is about the Benghazi attack, looking at the, the whole scope of it, giving some context. Obviously, this is told in part by the people who were there. They were consultants on this film. I actually met two of them, uh, Oz and Tig, with their, I guess, their code names. And uh, they were dead serious that this was a movie that didn't want to get political, and it's mostly apolitical. So from even that perspective, I think it's a victory. But it's gripping, and it has a, especially toward the end of the film, there's an American sniper vibe where you feel you feel honored to watch these people. You feel frightened by what they, by what they went through, and you feel kind of good about humanity that there's people that are brave enough and tough enough to do what needs to be done and that was one of my main takeaways yeah no i was uh i had read a piece about it at hollywoodintoto.com uh you talked about how they really stressed that they didn't want it to be political which i feel like helps a movie like this i feel like it helped american sniper to not really be political now mr housem do you want this movie to be political and are you disappointed that it isn't or do you feel like it's all right to kind of tell this story that you you know have the portrayal of the heroism and the bravery of the fallen soldiers or do you think that there should be some politics around the edges of it well obviously speaking having not seen it yeah, uh, but it's more I, of like right. your expectation for what you want it to be. Yeah. Read a ton about it. In fact, I read uh, Christian's article about it earlier today. Um, I, I don't mind if there's going to be political stuff in it, but if the movie has a political agenda, that's going to bug me. And uh, any kind of heavy-handed political agenda, whether it's from the right or the left or whatever, uh, it, it tends to be awful in the first 90 seconds. That being said, what I'm interested to see, and Christian, I, I, I'm not sure I want you to answer the question because I'm going to see it this week, and that is, it, it, do they get to the point, do they even mention, um, or is there a, um, how would I say this, is there a conclusion drawn that things should have, be, should have been done differently from the political angle? Like I know, for example, Obama and uh, Clinton are not in the movie at all. Uh, I'm curious to see if there is some sort of statement in it, even if it's between the lines that, you know what, those guys fucked it up and they should have done something differently. Well, first of all, ironically, Joe Biden has a role. He's a cameo. He plays a merchant in the uh, Libyan market. So just look for that. 
But also, I won't answer your question directly, but I will say that for a Michael Bay movie, this is as subtle as I could possibly imagine. And I think, kind of piggybacking your point, anytime a movie stops cold and a character gives a speech that could be that could double as an op-ed, to me, it just takes me out of the experience completely, and that doesn't happen here. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I guess it would help if we had seen it, but uh, we didn't do our due diligence and see it over the weekend. But we have six kids between us, Housem. You know, that's our excuse. We have uh, money to earn and (laughs) drinks to consume as a result of those six kids. Uh, Let me ask a a, a, is Absolutely, Mr. Toto. Yes. Uh, Housem, what were you going to say? So... uh, Christian, obviously you've seen it. Uh, Toto, not Blatt. Maybe I should make, that's how I should refer Toto to you guys. Toto and Blatt. Yeah, Toto that's, uh, and Blatt. We'll allow it, yeah. Um, Sounds like a bad cop movie to me. But yet a cop movie that I would definitely see at least twice. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, Housem, you keep trying to talk. Uh, no problem. Um, you, you were mentioning Lone Survivor. I didn't think that movie was political. Although, looking back on it, there are some things about it and American Sniper that were in some parts rewritten. And it seemed to be that some of those things weren't rewritten for purely um, narrative purposes. There was actually facts that were changed that were substantial. Uh, Toto, are you aware of anything like that that's happened with the Benghazi thing? You know, I'm not aware yet. I would not be surprised if something like that did happen just because it's creative license, because they're trying to tell a better story because the people involved maybe want to make themselves look a little better, not, not to mean their characters, but anyone who tells a story may be more sympathetic to their own performances and their own situations. So, but, you know, it may be the kind of thing where in the weeks to come, we get dribs and drabs of information where it wasn't quite like this or it wasn't quite like that. So it hasn't filtered in yet. I haven't heard anything like that yet, but it's certainly possible. Yeah, that that for me is one of the biggest concerns about it because sometimes you you you'll see a movie like that, you know, and they'll state at the they'll state at the front at the beginning of the movie, you know, inspired by actual events, and I'm a little bit hesitant. There's you know, ninety percent of me wants to see the movie because I'm understanding that it's fantastic. Ten percent, I I don't want to later find out that the only thing that happened in common with real life is that there actually is a city named Benghazi and <laughs> things happened. And beyond that, it was all made up nonsense. I will say there is a difference between inspired by a true story and based on a true story. And then it sounds like slippery slope kind of a thing. No, I get that. I think true. that's important. Yeah. There are films that sort of just say there was a, it was a wisp of a kernel of a truth here and we kind of spun from it. But this one is definitely there. I mean, that's their bread and butter. Now, again, creative license, you can kind of do things. I mean, even Argo from a couple of years ago, there was a very tense scene late in the movie where they're going to the airport and they're being scrutinized by the security. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen at all. And yet, you know what? It's a great movie and a great scene. So do we do we kind of snip that out? It's, it's, that's an argument, yeah. Right. Well, maybe, Blatt, what we should do is um, yes, you and I should go see this together. We should, actually. But uh, are you going to make me drive down to Orange County? Uh, no, I'm up in Los Angeles a couple times a week, so sometime next week All right. you'll we'll need to uh, start you know, getting permission and, from Heather. And 
Hey, I make my I make my own rules. No, you're right. Yeah. No, you're right. I have to. Sure I have to do. make sure I check with her. And see if we can figure you guys it out. Submit forms in triplicate as well, or just just a yes or a no. We've gotten it down so that it's the forms are all online. So you know, it, it's a lot simpler that way. Yeah, because this way we don't have to actually hand the forms to each other. You know, everything's through our lawyers. Anyway, uh, you know, Housem, we talked about how you fall asleep during movies. Did you also fall asleep during the new Star Wars movie? Did I hear that correctly? Yep, saw it on Christmas night at the Grove, and uh, how lost... late? How late was the showing? It was late, man. It was an eight o'clock showing. Oh well, for for <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Eight o'clock for me, it's lunchtime. I don't go to bed till one or two. It just, I don't, I don't know. And you know, Star Wars. I'm a big fan of Star Wars. My my eighth birthday. I never will forget this. My eighth birthday. Saw the first Star Wars, 1977. <laughs> You're old. Anyway, go ahead. Fuck you. Right. No, I'm literally, I'm the one on the podcast who's always the old one, so this is nice. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I probably made 20 minutes in, and it could have been. Now, this is uh, arguing my defense. The theater at the Grove, it was really nice, comfy seats. They do have a nice theater there. And it was a little bit warm. Uh-oh. And that night, Christmas night at the Grove was like low 50s temperature outside. <laughs> sure. It was freezing-ass cold. I sat down there. The guy next to me was really kind and gave me some of his popcorn. And then, boom. Then out. you were out. Out. So you fell asleep for how much of the movie? Uh, about 20 minutes or so. Uh, so that's... Is there any chance that you have narcolepsy? <laughs> 20 minutes it's kind of it seems to be that that's what you fall asleep for it's about that no it's not true uh several years ago i took my kids to see cloudy with the chance of meatballs too right five minutes in then the next thing i noticed with a uh closing credits so if it's a if it's really <laughs> shitty i'll just uh, stay hey, out hey my way. friend wrote that so you're you kidding know. no my friend erica actually wrote the screenplay for that so you know i haven't seen that one but i like the first one so. the first one Clever. Uh, <laughs> the second one, uh, well, I I was well rested. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's not talk about Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too. Uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and we'll try to you know minimize it to some extent. But uh, Captain EO, how late was one of the showings that you went to? Uh, Housem couldn't stay awake at eight o'clock. When did you go? I think I saw it at like one. 30 maybe in the morning yeah yeah that was the second time i starting yeah 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 (laughs) that's actually the way i reacted oh my god (laughs) yeah i know i was never one for midnight movies i would always see them the next day at noon or whatever the first showing was but uh i love midnight movies christian toto uh we'll talk to you about star wars in a second are you someone who can see a movie you know it's a little different now because opening night means you go like you know a a movie that opens on friday means that you can go see it thursday at like seven o'clock that's easy but in the day of the midnight movies christian would you go out there and were there movies that you're like i don't care how late i'm up i need to see it right away yeah, you know, I don't remember doing the, the midnight thing, but we definitely, opening opening day, if it was a, a, a movie of consequence, which meant a lot of guns and violence, um, yeah, we were there for sure. Yeah. And now I'm kind of spoiled because I do get to see the movies typically at least three days before they open. And um, But you didn't get to see so, Star Wars before it opened, did you? Well, the funny thing is that uh, we were supposed to go on vacation for two weeks in Mexico in December, and my wife, bless her heart, 
decided to set the date at December 15th, which was three days before the movie opens. And Whoops. I had no idea when the screening was going to come. So we were on divorce court a couple times before <laughs> this was all set. And then the, the, the stars aligned and the screening happened December 15th during the day. And my flight was at midnight. So I did get to see it. I got, and I got to see it early. And well, our marriage is better. That's good. Yeah. Well, look, you know, you know, Star Wars keeps uh, marriages together. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about why I liked the movie. I think it's great. It's everything that the prequels weren't, namely interesting and exciting. Um, but what is driving me crazy is people now going out of their way. Like, there's this HuffPo piece that I've seen linked and passed around and posted so many times. First of all, I don't know why people are spending this much time on HuffPo. That's besides the point. But 40 plot holes you might have missed from Star Wars The Force Awakens. You know what? If there's 40 plot holes and I missed them, I don't need to find them. There's a couple that I noticed, but I don't need to see the 38 other ones. What do you think it is? And I'll start with you, Christian Toto. Uh, what do you think it is about this movie? Is it because it's Star Wars? Is it J.J. Abrams? Is it because it's made so much money? All of those things. Is that why people are so fixated on trying to find what's wrong with it and really dwelling on that? It's our culture. Nothing yeah, that's can true. succeed and stay successful without the backlash. I knew it was coming... To, 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 just to give you an idea how ridiculous the backlash is to anything, there is a petition. It, it's garnering very... Oh, I saw this. ...where someone wants George Lucas to take back control of the franchise. That's where we are. Basically, we can celebrate things, we can honor things, we can triumph in their excellence, and then there's the backlash. And it can be small, it can be big, but even when it's small, the social media mavens will magnify it. So if it's just one jerk in a basement who decides that he hates um, the new Star Wars X, Y, or Z, he's going to talk about it, and it's going to get retweeted, and then the rap.com is going to write about how backlash is growing against The Force Awakens. It's just what we do now, and it's kind of sad. It, it is sad, and it's actually something we talk a lot about here on the Blackcast. Uh, one of our co-hosts who isn't here this week, uh, Will uh, Agent Starling, he this drives him crazy more than anything else. That if you like something, somebody needs to immediately tell you why you're an idiot because you liked it, or here's what you didn't understand. That that's what, or if he doesn't like something, he doesn't. He's like, you know. If he doesn't like something that a lot of people do, then, you know, I, I'm with him, and I know Housem really likes Game of Thrones, so don't chime in about this. But it, the people who like that show, not all of them, but, boy, if you tell them that you don't like it, there's something wrong with you, and you don't understand it, it's like, you know what, sometimes you just don't like something. I'm out of here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and it's fine. And it's fine if somebody doesn't like Star Wars. But if it's just like, oh, I saw it. Yeah, it was okay. And I, I referenced this on a past episode. There was somebody I saw on Facebook that said, well, Jar Jar Abrams managed to figure out a way to make a movie worse than the prequels. And I'm like, that has to be someone that hasn't seen the prequels either <laughs> ever or not recently. To think that this movie was worse than those prequels is insane. You can not like this movie and still like the originals. But the idea that the prequels might be better, now that's crazy. I don't know. What do you think, Christian? That's crazy talk. Yeah, I mean, that's just you know, it's funny, I read, I, I went for the clickbait, there was someone who wrote in, it was a, it wasn't like a vague blog, it was like a major news outlet, and it said, why The Force Awakens is terrible. And then within the first draft, it said, well, you know, it's not terrible, but it could have been better. I'm thinking, really? That's the way you present the story? How dishonest? So, <laughs> it, that's part yeah. of it. And, you know, 
you know how bad our backlash culture is when Jerry Seinfeld is called um, insensitive about the jokes he tells because they're too outlandish and cutting edge, where Amy Schumer and Tina Fey have to defend themselves because they're deemed inappropriate with their material. I mean, no one... Is gets off easy, and everyone yeah. is fair game, even the people that we kind of hoist up as the, the best and brightest. Well, everyone's very sensitive. Everyone's opinion matters, and if you like something, they're going to tell you why you're the moron who likes it. So, uh, Michael Hausam, you fell asleep for 20 minutes, and you talked about how much you liked the original Star Wars. Did you enjoy any of it, or did you just sit there and go like, nah, not feeling this? Well, I, I, it was because I feel like your twenty minutes probably weren't going to make the movie incomprehensible. I mean, it was still a Star Wars movie. It probably wasn't that hard to follow. No, that's true. Um, I, you know what? I'll say this: I am definitely going to be seeing it again. Uh, Hateful Eight, on the other hand, won't be. So, th- if if I was if if I were to have a dividing line between those movies that I had fallen asleep during and the ones that I will see again, yes. and the ones I won't. Uh, like for example, I slept through part of Wolf on Wall Street, but Margot Robbie is going to definitely cause me to see that movie multiple times. <laughs> um, <Okay>. I, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I do. Um, I will definitely see uh, the Star Wars movie, no question about it. All right, fair enough. And uh, I think that uh, it, it's fair to see it again. And if you see it again, and try to stay awake. What do you need to do? Like. <laughs> Have coffee I, beforehand, or I don't. I don't actually noon? know. Want to go I'm see it at noon? You know, I mean, maybe I shouldn't tell people that I do that because they look at no, me like I'm fascinated that you fall asleep during it. You well, know, maybe that's one of the things of having five kids too. It's like, oh my god, I've got ninety uninterrupted all right, blame minutes here. The kids. <laughs> all right, it's all the kids' fault. Um, maybe. Right. <sighs> I'm, not the, I'm not the host, but here's a suggestion for a future episode. The best movies to fall asleep to. Oh, okay, that's that a is great a great idea. idea. That's a fantastic idea. There are there are definitely movies that I've fallen asleep. I haven't fallen asleep in the theater very often, but um, the Da Vinci Code. It was a great movie to sleep during. That was a fantastic movie to sleep during. It felt great. To See, just... that was a movie I didn't fall asleep during. Well, I loved. The, I I <laughs> I read the books, so I mean, it wasn't a great movie, but I was such a fan of the books that. I, I couldn't fall asleep. Fair enough. I, uh, I fell asleep. I fell asleep during Casablanca in a screening what? for one of my classes. Well, that was for and then school. Yeah, well, it was Thursday. <laughs> that doesn't really count. It was Thursday night, and we had like every Thursday night we watched a movie for the uh, history class of uh, visual media arts history. And we were watching Casablanca. Passed out in the back row and woke up with one of these. <laughs> okay, that is awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, in uh, in college, I was uh, too hungover to make it through uh, Imitation of Life. I, I just could not see that. And uh, I think I fell asleep during Blow Up. But, you know, really, films in college, it, it's, it's a whole different, you know, films you're watching for. Although in my one class, we watched RoboCop, and you better believe I was awake for that whole thing. Wait, what in the hell school that you went to that you watched RoboCop for class? Ah, I'm so glad you asked, because we were uh, doing the hard-boiled detective. And I wrote a paper, which I got an A on, about how RoboCop is... Your typical hard-boiled detective story. That was the point that the professor wanted to make. Okay. And uh, also, it's an amazing movie, and it is a uh, commentary on uh, late '80s America by a foreigner, Paul Verhoeven, who also made the Giant Bug movie, Starship Troopers. Um, Another Sons of Anarchy connection with that, by the way. What did you say, Christian Toto? 
I laughed, I cried, I slept. During uh, during uh, Starship Troopers? Tree of Life. <laughs> if you want to sleep, watch Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Oh, uh, I remember what that was. Three yeah. hour, it's actually got sleep breaks in it where it just shows the universe for a while and you can just take a nap <laughs> about 20 minutes in between each little clip. See, that so that sounds good. Well, you know, look, everyone uh, tweet at Blatcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. What are your movies to fall asleep during? And we'll open this up on Facebook. This is a great topic. So thank you for uh, not being able to stay awake for movies. And thank you, uh, Christian Toto, for uh, bringing it to our attention. Uh, Christian, another thing I wanted to talk to you about that I know you posted on HollywoodandToto.com is that this is the 50th anniversary of... The Batman TV series, the live action 60s Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward, which was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. When I was little, it was in a block on Channel 11 in New York. You had Batman and Get Smart. Those are like two of the greatest shows for me when I was a kid. And I loved this version of Batman. And as an adult, sure, I enjoy Tim Burton and Christopher Nolan Batman. There's still a soft spot, though, for this Batman series from the 60s. Why do you think that 50 years in, people still kind of have, have the same affinity for it, Christian? Well, I think that soft spot was Adam West's belly, because it really wasn't as firm <laughs> or as hot as it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, and by the way, I grew up in New York and watched Channel 11 as well, so we have to, we have to compare notes off, <laughs> off Mike one day. Did you, you know, ever did you ever get to play the on air video game which was called Picks? Yeah, Picks, Picks. <laughs> you would just go because it was. This is very inside, but you know, look, people in New York are going to listen. WPIX were the uh, call letters for Channel Eleven in New York, and they had a game, and it was like, you know, it was like a really low rent shooting a spaceship game. Like, don't even think Galaga, think more like Pong, and you would say Picks picks and so they would fire it when you said picks on the phone and if you blew it up you i don't even know what you won what a awful memory that is what a waste of you know it wasn't a network but a waste of the number one market airtime wouldn't you say christian it was a different time there was yeah. less competition that's there was true less, like, great tv around so yeah you do things like playing video games with <laughs> there's going to be somebody listening who's going to remember picks and will be very excited so I'm, I'm glad we mentioned it but uh yeah so anyway talk about the 60s batman well you know it's looking back it's sort of a minor miracle that it happened that you got all these big stars the fact that it succeeded the fact that it was so silly and campy I mean, it came from a different era. I mean, the monkeys were around. I think the monkeys are actually celebrating their 50th year anniversary, and they had sort of a, a similar madcap spirit, though a different sensibility for sure. Yeah, and I think you know, that the monkeys are kind of, you know, look, the, the music wasn't great, but those are some very catchy songs. But as in terms of a show, I've kind of always thought it's like if the guys in Monty Python were American and had a band, right? Mm -hmm. So those are two big ifs. But that's what that show felt like. You know, it was yeah. like that kind of approach. It was very silly. And yeah, I, I would say that the monkeys and the Adam West Batman definitely kindred spirits in terms of televised entertainment. And I think part of the fun, and you can even draw a parallel to the Naked Gun series where the stores pretty much took it seriously. The Adam West wasn't cracking up on set and... And he kind of took his bat duties very meticulously. And I I think that approach is one of the reasons why it was so successful, because the, the, the goofiness spoke for itself. You didn't have to kind of uh, goose it in any step. And also, Adam West was, was good in it. I mean, these these that was a fine performance. It was silly. It was heroic. It was, uh, it, it was, it, it almost lacked self-awareness of how, how ridiculous the whole enterprise was. I mean, it was colorful. It was lively. 
the characters kind of popped off the screen, and it wasn't like anything else. I mean, we're inundated with superheroes now, but back then we weren't. So just to see that um, twice a week was kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I loved the, you know, the announcer who would, uh, you know, bring you up to speed, you know, <laughs> the, the, tune in next time, same bad time, same bad channel, all that. I loved everything about it. Um, and maybe it's because, you know, look, I just didn't like the episodes with Batgirl. I don't know if it had anything to do with her. I mean, there was something to be said for Batgirl, but at that point in the show, I was just like, no, I'm, I, I want, I want tomorrow's to be one without Batgirl, please. Is that kind of like bringing Oliver into the Brady Bunch? Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, although the actress who played her, she, I think she passed away recently, uh, Yvonne something. Yvonne yeah, Yvonne and Craig. so uh, look, wasn't wasn't a fan, but. Uh, Maybe if I was a little bit older, I would have enjoyed her outfit, you know, but I was, you know, I was like six, you know, so even at that point, I'm not gonna be that excited. But anyway, so you have this great piece, little known things about the Batman TV show. And um, just give us a few of the highlights. And if somebody wants to actually read all of them, I believe you have 21 fun facts. Uh, they can go to HollywoodInToto.com. Here's two of my favorites, and they're kind of back to back. They're really connected. Of course, you remember when they'd go to the bat pole and slide down to change into their costumes. Well, there was a library door, sort of a library bookcase that would swing, and they would kind of run through it and then go grab the bat pole and slide down. Well, according to Adam West, sometimes that, that door, that hinge would not exactly swing, so they'd run into it and causing some minor injuries. But then the best part was one time they actually did get to the bat pole. He slid down, and he landed on what he called a wino, a guy who was, I guess, drunk from the night before. There were mattresses below the pole so that when they fell, they, they landed on a soft object. But the one particular time, Adam West landed on a drunk. And the guy was leaving <laughs> off a rough night. And I just said, my goodness, this show couldn't get any campier, and it just did. Yeah, I think they found a way. Uh, now, there are some great cameos, you know, when they would do the thing where they would pretend to be walking up the side of the building. Who were some of the people that uh, turned up in the 60s Batman show, you know, sticking their head out of the window? I remember Jerry Lewis once, right? Yeah, Dick Clark was one of the guys who did that. And what's funny about it is that I guess the show became a hit so quickly that I imagine the stars were like, hey, I want to be that guy who pops open the window and talks to Batman. So uh, Betty White, Sammy Davis Jr., yeah, lots of guest stars, and I'm sure they were on screen for about eight seconds. But you know what? It was a hip show, and it was cool, and it was crazy. And if you're a celebrity, you make you get your agent make make a phone call or two, and all of a sudden you're in the building. Yeah, and, uh, looking at <laughs> looking at Burt Ward's legs. <laughs> hey, we're all looking at Burt Ward's legs, uh, Mr. Housem, uh, Do you do you have a uh, soft spot for the '60s Batman TV show when you were a kid, or uh, was it uh, not cool enough for you? Oh no, absolutely loved that television show. Though it's funny that the thing that comes to my mind when you were mentioning not liking the episodes with Batgirl yeah. on it. Um, when I was a kid, my parents didn't have cable, so growing up in San Diego County, we had four channels. And one of those was only playing old television shows. And what ticked me off, I used to watch, you know, during the day, especially when I'm homesick or whatever, all these old 1960s shows and even 1950s shows, is that every once in a while, because I was a fan of when Batgirl was on uh, the Batman TV show, they would say, you know, coming up at two o'clock, that girl. And I would tune in at two o'clock <laughs> expecting to watch... Batgirl, Batgirl, and it was 
Marlo, Marlo Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> and I, re- I mean, I remember, I, I could totally distinctly remember sitting there in the long shag green carpet <laughs> waiting for Batgirl. And I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, when is she going to change into Batgirl and and fight crime? Oh my gosh, I, that's you know an amazing. <laughs> isn't that it's such a funny memory? Yeah, but you had so few channels in San Diego. You probably didn't even have one where they played video games on the air, did you? Uh, when you mentioned that 180 <laughs> seconds ago, that's the first time I ever knew such a thing uh, existed. Well, you know what? You didn't grow up as as privileged as as some of us. Uh, Christian, give us one more of these uh, little known facts from the Batman series. And again, you can go to HollywoodInToto.com for the whole list. Sure. Well, uh, one of the ones I was intrigued by was that Adam West was offered a James Bond movie, Diamonds Are Forever. What? And apparently he turned it down. He said it should be for a British actor, not someone like himself. So uh, that could have been a quite a career change Wait, for him. Who is he going to play? Not James Bond. Bond. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he had a look. And people are and people are upset at the notion of Idris Elba playing James Bond. Uh, Adam West is James Bond. Well, I guess I don't know. I look. I've talked about this that Roger Moore was James Bond when I was a kid, so he's who I think of first. Even though obviously Connery is Bond, but I think of Roger Moore. I guess Roger Moore, Adam West. Maybe they're not that far apart, you know, in some ways. Yeah, two uh, degrees of separation. Also. You know, we all know Dustin Hoffman became a superstar with The Graduate, but there were some people behind the scenes at the film who wanted Burt Ward to play Benjamin Braddock. I mean, and then I think someone connected to the Batman series just had a fit. And Wait a minute. It didn't happen. But so, uh, so Burt Ward is, you know. Burt Ward? <laughs> wow. It's, that's, that's crazy. That's like, holy smokes, Batman, are you trying to seduce me? <laughs> Which... You know, maybe he was, but uh, that's crazy. Um, wow. So you can get that whole list at HollywoodInToto.com. And uh, Christian, before I let you go, I'm going to talk to you about something that's very much a, a bit of a, of a niche issue. But uh, you and I had a brief exchange on Twitter, but then someone else got involved in it. Explain for our listeners and how this might be the kind of thing that you would want to uh, check out for. But... There is this uproar about, I think you'll actually be interested, from at least from an economic free market standpoint, this idea that there's a Star Wars film, no, sorry, Star Trek, a fan-made Star Trek film called Axanar, I don't even know how you say it. Is that how you say it, Christian? I think so. I, yeah. I haven't heard it. I've not heard anyone say it because only people online are talking about it. So this fan-made Star Trek film, Axanar, that... They did a Kickstarter. I I said, Christian, explain it. I guess I meant myself. They did a Kickstarter, (laughs) and they raised like a million dollars to make this fan-made Star Trek film. And it wasn't going to be like inspired by Star Trek. They were going to use like real names of characters and planets and things like that. And uh, Christian Toto, what happens when you raise a million dollars for your fan-made lark that you're doing for fun? Well, you get a phone call from a particular lawyer, or dozens, I imagine, from, I think it's CBS and Paramount. Maybe Yes, they, they own the copyright, Paramount right. and CBS, yeah. And they kind of said cease and desist. What I thought was interesting about this whole situation was, now, to the best of my knowledge, 
I don't think this fan film is meant to be distributed and make a ton of money. I think it's more of a genuine labor of love. But I think also the quality of the fan film is actually pretty good from all accounts. And it's not just a, a bunch of people running around a green screen. And they actually got some professional actors involved. And um, was Walter Koenig Hennig, the, uh, the checkoff? I think he might have been. He was indeed, yes, yes. Okay. So what intrigued me about the whole thing was the fact that the Paramount and CBS didn't tag team on this project immediately. They kind of let it fester and grow. And then perhaps when it got a little bit too big for its own britches, then they jumped in with a legal team. And I have to say, I don't, I get that they're trying to protect their, their copyright. I understand that. And I agree with it. At the same time, it just feels like a better approach could have been handled or they should have shut it down right from the start. Or maybe, maybe there was a way to kind of extend an olive branch and say, Hey, you can't do this, but, Let's work together. Maybe we'll give you some exclusives. Maybe we'll have you do the Star Trek tour. I mean, I just, I just felt like a heavy-handed legal battle seemed perhaps not the best example right. of how to go about this. No, I, I see your point from that standpoint, but I, I felt like I was in the minority online by saying that, you know, it doesn't have to be handled nicely. No one should expect it to have gone any differently than it did. You know, yeah. they had kind of turned a blind eye towards fan-made Star Trek films and things before, and they for years would actually take unsolicited scripts, submissions, which no one does. They would do that on Next Generation. And if you look up some of the people who got their break by these unsolicited Star Trek, the Next Generation scripts, all that's great. But at the end of the day, you know, they have like a a billion-dollar franchise in Star Trek, Paramount. Paramount, and they have a new movie coming out this year, and they don't want to dilute that with some fan-made thing that, you know, in all honesty, how good was it really going to be if they made the whole movie? Just because they're fans, they can make a better movie than J.J. Abrams? You know, maybe they can, but they don't get to find out because they didn't create it. Why don't they create their own thing? You know, it's Paramount's property. They can do whatever they want to protect it. You know, what they've let happen in the past, that's besides the point as far as I'm concerned. You know, if you're making something blatantly using copywritten intellectual property, no one can be surprised that it, it happens this way, like I said. You know, and I said at the time on Twitter is like you don't have the right to use this multi-billion dollar intellectual property simply because you want to. Now Michael Hausam from a uh, stern business standpoint, do you agree with my stance that hey, they own Star Trek, they can do whatever they want to protect it to have the assurance that the name won't be sullied when they have a movie coming out this summer that they want people to spend money on? Totally agree with you. I am a full-on free market proponent within the context of the rule of law, and it's incredibly clear. And just because they've let other stuff go in the past, uh, probably not wisely done, frankly, um, they totally have the right and should defend their intellectual property. You said the exact the exact correct thing. The guy could have, you know, created his own deal, period. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to make like a Star Trek fan film... You can call it other things, you know, make, you know, do like Galaxy Quest, you know, where they just kind of took some of the ideas and, and, you know, expanded upon them. Captain EO, you have some thoughts on this issue? I just think it's stupid and uh, kind of douchey of the studio because here's why. If they were really interested in protecting the integrity of Star Trek, then why did they allow 
Jeremy Lin or whoever, whatever his actual name the, is. The, <laughs> Justin Lin. Jeremy Justin Lin's the Jeremy NBA Lin. player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why the By the way, Jeremy Lin could probably have Jeremy directed Lin a great Star to Trek assist movie. this kind of piece of shit. <laughs> like, I don't want to watch Fast and Furious in space. Like, I just don't. See, I don't want to watch Fast and Furious on the ground, but I kind of want to see it in space because if I can see Captain Kirk on a dirt bike. I'm there. Okay. The only way I'm watching this is if the Enterprise jumps out of a bigger plane, like through the front. I'm pretty sure that that happens. Good. <laughs> so, so we'll all go see it. No, and look, I understand. You know, that's actually the point that people are making. Look, J.J. Abrams is ruining our Star Trek franchise, so they have to leave it up to the fans. And you know, they don't want the fans to make a better movie than they will. How did he ruin it? I, I really liked the first one, and the second one was all right. The second, the second I one think was all right. Cumberbatch was a terrible selection for Khan, but beyond that, it was a good movie. Yeah, I, I think he should have been a different guy. He's you know? a great actor. He's yeah. not fucking con. Yeah, I had a huge argument with a girl about this because she just likes him as an actor. You broke, and I was like, you, you broke up, didn't you? I actually stopped <laughs> seeing her. That's a real story. Uh, Ricardo Maltoban is con. No one else could have yeah. ever well, been you, con. You could have had a different person play con in the recent era. It just, it's not Cumberbatch. Yeah, he's just, just, it's true. He was not a great He's choice. not intimidating. And look, I, I see that that's what people are saying, is that you know that's why they think that they should get to make these fan films. And it's fine if you feel that way, but don't get your feelings hurt that when they see that you raised a million dollars, they're like, you know, let's just shut this down. And I don't know. It's like you don't get to play in that universe because you want to. And they're was a person that I had the back and forth with on Twitter. <laughs> Nick's bit was his name. And he said, well, because Nikolai Tesla died in debt and many technology that was his intellectual property. And my ancestor who invented the wheel never got a patent. Why don't I get paid now? We should share equally with everything. And I was just like, well, no, if Nikolai Tesla patented his, his inventions, I don't know the story that well. I just know the rock band Tesla was named after that guy. But my understanding is that if he had patents, if he had patents, it would have been all right. And if you, as the caveman who invented the wheel, if you'd been able to have a good patent attorney and you patented the wheel, well, that would be great for your estate. So... It's kind of the point that I'm making. If you can copyright these ideas, then you do, and you own them. And, you know, people who have, you know, I think Edison must have uh, have a patent on the light bulb. And I'm going to sound Edison, stupid. Because- Edison actually has tons of patents. Yeah. And he ran that world, but he wasn't actually much of an inventor. He mostly just bought patents, and he strong-armed Tesla out of most of his inventions and, and what would have been his patents. He basically drove him to death and, like, uh, becoming broke because his ideas were like so much more revolutionary and he wasn't interested in the money so uh, Edison couldn't buy his patents so he just like fucked him. Well that's wasn't not there a char- Wasn't there a character on Santa Liza the caveman attorney? Yes the unfrozen caveman lawyer Yeah, yes. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the jury yeah that we would play that a lot on the radio show actually Keyrock was his name uh, anyway I don't know look and I know that there are people who listen to this podcast who will be very upset that I feel like fans shouldn't get to make their fan movies. And if you make them, you can make them in a way where the studio doesn't know. Don't go trying to raise money, even if it's just to cover costs. It's just don't be surprised. That's all I'm trying to say. And people were so upset about it. I'm like, well, I can't believe that they thought they wouldn't get caught. We, I think if they had made the movie 
they, there was nothing wrong with making the movie, everything wrong with crowdfunding it, because then yeah. you are bringing money in. Exactly. Like, whether or not you're using that to pay yourself a salary or to pay for all the crap you use to make the movie, you're bringing money in. Like, so that's that was their first mistake. Absolutely. Well, I, burned, I burned my I grok Spock shirt in that protest. <laughs> yes, you don't grok Spock anymore, which I believe... I'm trying to think if it, if it was Lovitz or Neelan. I think it was Lovitz that was wearing the I Grok Spock t-shirt in the great William Shatner uh, Star Trek convention sketch, written by yeah. the great Robert Smigel, by the way. So even yeah, that far back, that guy had great ideas in his head. Well, Christian, look, we've taken up so much of your time. It's taken up uh, multiple weeks of your life. You've been on hold between episodes. But I appreciate you making some time to uh, join us here on the Blackcast. I appreciate it, but just one question. Where are my kids? Have you seen them? Uh, they're actually with Housem's kids. <laughs> they're actually at a screening of The Hateful Eight with Felix as well. So all eight of our kids. Hey, that's those are our kids. We have eight kids. Those are The Hateful Eight. All oh, of our my kids. gosh. That's so perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so Christian Toto, the website, HollywoodInToto, T-O-T-O dot com, and on Twitter, at HollywoodInToto. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon, Christian. Thanks, guys. All right, absolutely. So, so thanks for uh, sitting in, Housem, to uh, talk to Christian Toto there for a little bit. We appreciated that. You know what? Like many influential things in my life, uh, I first met Toto online listening to the Dennis Miller show. I've he would be on uh, regularly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he uh, was writing for the Washington Times at one point, and then he ended up working with the the Breitbart team. But uh, yep. he, I think he was just somebody who liked the show and said, yeah, I'd like to come on and talk movies. And Dennis always liked him, so uh, we, we would have him on. Well, I've written a note to myself here in February, the day, probably the day before, maybe the day of the Oscars. Well, the day of is a Sunday. Well, of course it is. What an idiot. So the Friday before. Yeah, uh, or the Monday after. No, Friday before, I w- I'd like Toto on to talk about the Oscars. Well, you should have him on, and, and you're going to have him on what? Why, your new radio show. Oh, House see Rules. what I did there. House Rules, which airs at 7 a.m. Pacific. 7 a.m. Pacific. 10 Eastern on stations across this great nation, but you can also listen online. For those particulars, go to houserules.com, H-A-U-S, rules.com. Dot .us. Did I say .com? I think I might have. But .us. And how do you remember .us? Because it's the goddamn greatest nation. Because it's the goddamn greatest nation in the history it, of the world. It's just that simple. And uh, Christian is gone. I'm the other Christian here in studio. But we have such little time, Mr. Housem. I'd hate to uh, make you feel rushed. So I'd like to have you talk a little bit about your show. You'd previously done internet radio. Talk about the transition between internet radio and doing radio that's for the actual radio. Um, As far as sitting there talking into the microphone, it's no different at all. Um, I'm obviously joking around a little bit. It's actually been very, very fun uh, to have that as an opportunity. So we're in 12, 12 markets, so it's really small. Um, in fact, when I describe myself as nationally syndicated radio show, it's true. Um, however, it was funny. <laughs> I was just as a point of comparison. I was listening to Mark Levin the other day and um, <laughs> he was there was some politician that was on some radio show somewhere. And the radio show that the guy was on, 
had like 75 stations. So it was also nationally syndicated. Yeah. And Levin was describing the interaction between these two guys. And he repeatedly made reference to this guy with 75 stations across the country as not even being third tier. Wow. And I'm like... <laughs> 75 stations? The uh, the Dennis Miller show, we launched with 80, and that was a big deal. Like, that was our launch. You know, we got up to, I think, 305 at the peak. But Right. I well, I think it might be that, Le- what, Levin's the number, I don't know, he's top five he's, show, maybe? As you say, let's say top five, because, you know, yeah. those people that are one, two, and three, you don't want to upset them. So let's just say top five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I, what I try to do, as you know, can, can I reveal this, that you're my executive producer? Yeah, which at this point, it's, uh, you know, you've booked so many guests, it's a lot of me just giving you pointers, which I hope are helpful. Well, the <laughs> they're critical. Okay. <laughs> My dad actually, after the first couple, he listened to, and he the previous show that I did, uh, he listened to a few minutes of one and said, "Yeah, sorry, son, I love you, but that show didn't do it for me." <laughs> wow. So, yeah, he's listened to the first. You know, I started on Monday, yeah. so I got four shows uh, in the archives, and um, he said, "You know what? How, how are you making decisions about this, and what are you thinking?" And how? And I said, "You know what, Dad." I am making all of these decisions and the things that I'm doing, the way I'm going about it, based solely on instinct, informed by no knowledge or experience whatsoever. So, frankly, your input and help, I really appreciate. Well, no, look, I'm I'm happy to do it. And, you know, the thing about this show compared to uh, the previous show is that you have a good microphone. You sound good. You know, I... <laughs> Wait, <is> it... <laughs> It, it, Nothing to do with content. N- look, you got to start with that. You got to start Technology. with it sounding good, and right. then the content, you know, will be a factor. But if you have the best content, but it sounds like garbage, it's not going to matter. That's Jeff, right. you've worked in radio a long time. There's probably been a lot of decent content that sounds like garbage. But let's ask it the other way: garbage that's really well polished and sounds good. I think a lot of people will listen to, won't they? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I don't need you to name names, but. <laughs> Uh, well, I can just say that uh, it's, uh, without getting too specific, yesterday I was uh, making a promo. <laughs> for something. For something. Yeah. And I was working on it with the executive producer, and I was like, see, I like this part of the content because it's, like, coherent and makes sense and is well put. This part sucks. And she's like, well, we need to use the second part because those are her own words. <laughs> <laughs> His, his or her own yeah, words. They're, yeah, they're that words. person's that person's. own words. Yeah. Well, hopefully at some point uh, I will be able to meld together with my uh, – I'll be able to meld together my improved technology – with actual quality content. I suppose that's the goal, right? That is the goal. And I do think that the uh, content's good. There have been a couple of uh, things that you've needed to learn during your first week of radio. <laughs> the first one's an easy one. You can't say dipshittery on radio. Come on. This isn't the internet, son. No. What? Yeah. I-, I heard that and I'm like, what? Come on. You got to know better. But also, you know, it was like, what, your second show, I think? So It was my second. You know, yeah. the one thing I learned today... Yeah, I was going to point this out, too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You can point it out. Uh, the other thing you shouldn't do 
is leave your mute button on for four minutes. <laughs> because I the way that I because this was the first day that I couldn't listen live. I had to listen after the fact. And I look at it on Spreaker and they have the audio. It's like the different levels. Right. And there's this huge part where there's nothing. Nothing. And it's just this big white space. And I'm like, all right, this is probably maybe, you know, they just dropped out for the commercials. Error. The commercials or something. No, no, no. Because then you're like Oh, hey, everybody. Um, I just had my mute button on, <laughs> and none of you heard what I just said, but I heard it. And, and it was good. Yeah. That was probably the best four minutes you did of the show, right? It was staggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I went away to commercial. I went and got a, uh, refilled my coffee, sat back down, launched into a passionate, uh, that particular content, those four minutes, genius. I bet. And as I was moving along, looking at, I, I have a, uh, the ability to have a chat room. And there's a comment that said, what happened to his microphone? And I looked down, like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> and this, of course, would be the one day that I'm not listening live where I could have instant messaged you, texted you, called you. If all those things happened at once, you'd probably have been like, oh, something's probably wrong. But oh, I, I heard God. it after the fact. And I only heard it like an hour later. But I, right. I still, before you went and fixed the archive. So I feel like I, I really got the benefit. Yeah, I'm looking at my uh, my archive list right now. Uh, the House Rules 114.16 initial broadcast is four minutes and 17 minutes longer than the second archive. <laughs> Go figure. I did edit out a couple of comments about, you know, hey, if you listen to the, the subsequent archive, you don't know that anything happened. Because you I, were smooth. I edited out all the references to my dipshittery. Yeah, but you didn't say dipshittery. I yeah. did not. There was no. If you listen to uh, Wednesday and Thursday's show, that could have been broadcast in any preschool across America. That's true. I, I you know, I don't know how many preschools would have responded. Which well is to, not my point. No, I know. Asshole. You know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, but uh, you know, I don't what know. What a dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think. I'm, there we go. Exactly. So anyway, that's. So let me ask you this, man. I, yeah. I know we've just got a little bit of time left, right? Yeah, it just depends on how much time everyone in this room has, because we can always stay around for another week or whatever, and then do another one. It just kind of depends on when you have to get back to the nine four nine. Right. Well, you know what? The the time getting back to the nine four nine is certainly going to be shorter. Than getting here. Than the time it took How long to did it get take here. you? And people love to hear about traffic in cities they don't live in. So go ahead and tell us how long it took you <laughs> to get from uh, Newport Beach to Sherman Oaks. Uh, hour 43. Oh, that's not so bad, actually. For 57 miles. Yeah. My, I mean, my wife's parents live in Yorba Linda, which is sure. you know, nestled further away. Yeah. But uh, there's... There's time that that can take a good two and a half hours. If oh, you, you know what we should do that would be more interesting. Let's talk about where in Yorba Linda they live because I used to live at the top of the hill <laughs> they, off no, of Imperial I, I know, in Anaheim Hill. I, I know that hill. Uh, there's a Target there, and they don't live there. They they live down the hill. Anyway, <laughs> HouseRules.us is uh, the site for your radio show, and uh, let's talk a little bit about your radio show. Uh, what are some of who are some of the guests you've had on? Well, what I try to do is um, I try to make the, the show is basically all about whatever I'm thinking about. Right. Um, in my life, I think about politics a lot. 
But I also think about all kinds of other stuff. Like we we had Christian on the show earlier. Uh, we were talking about the fact that I slept through some movies, but yeah, entertainment and culture are a part of my life. Right. And the interesting thing is, in the first week of your radio show, you have David Bowie die and Alan Rickman die. So right. those are like two. And I think your first show, you actually started talking about David Bowie because it was that day that we right out of out. the box. Yeah. Uh, and I started this morning. The very f- uh, second subject was Alan Rickman. Yeah. So it's just, you know, there's things that you kind of, you know, you could have been like, oh, this is going to be a strict uh, political show. But those are pretty big passings. So I'm glad that you uh, spent some time on those. You know, yeah, it's they, good to have the mix. They were. Uh, Rickman was in two of my very favorite movies. Bowie was a huge part of the soundtrack of my life. And and that's, you know what, it's interesting. We've made reference to Dennis Miller show a couple of times here. One of the things I most loved about Dennis's show is that it wasn't just all politics. If I was going to listen to all politics, my politics probably align more with Levin than anybody else. My politics are certainly far more conservative and more passionate on issues than Dennis was about politics. However, his was the only show that I went, I don't know, four or five years and missed only a handful of episodes because it was more than just that. It was entertaining. Yeah, it was that, about that was other his goal. Stuff. I mean, he's like, it's a comedy show. You know, it's a, it's a, it's yes, it's politically based, and you know, a lot of the stations you're on are conservative talk stations. So you know, you have to, you have to answer to, to those needs. But right. at the same time, and bleep the word Jesus. <laughs> that's actually very true. You had oh, for uh, that's exactly right because, because we were Christian on stations. very conservative yeah. stations. I and, remember when I got told that I was like. <laughs> No. And and Liev was like, no, really, you have to bleep the word Jesus. Yeah. Oh, so. my God. And he would use it a lot. Just, you know, not intending to disparage our Lord and Savior. No, it's just more of like, oh, Jesus. You know, it's the way that any of us use it. So it got really difficult the first week when he was talking about the job that his gardener did. And I just think. Which would you Oh, Wait, come on. This has Jesus to be a joke. And Jesus this, and, this has to be oh a joke God. because Dennis wouldn't know the name of his gardener. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a joke, everybody. We love Dennis. Well, okay. I would say that thinking about what you said a second ago about his show being a comedy show, my show is exactly like Dennis's show without the wit, brilliance, and humor. That's it. That's exact. That's the perfect well, that's why way you've to got describe me, That's it. why you've got me on board. I, I'm going to gonna bring all those things to you. Because <laughs> you don't add have... the value that I don't have. Yeah, the added value. Exactly. Right. So I've had, like, I had uh, Mark Tapson was on. He was my very first guest on Monday. And I don't know if you know Mark. Uh, he works for David Horowitz. He runs when Ben Shapiro left Truth Revolt. Uh, Horowitz asked Mark Tapson to take over. Right, which is very political, obviously. Well, also, Ben Shapiro is very busy, you know, getting into arguments with Patton Oswalt and things <laughs> like that. You know, he's very, he, he's got a full-time gig on Twitter. Well, he's, after he left Truth Revolt, he started another site, though. It's called Daily Something or Another. I forget. <laughs> I don't know what well, it's called. He named it well, if you're calling it Daily Something or Another. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so... I know uh, he used to have Ben on the show, and look, he, he seems like a nice guy, but he used to do these lists about overrated bands and he would like number one led zeppelin and i'm like all right i get what you're doing but 
that doesn't make it any less infuriating. And I can still think you're being a dipshit right now. I don't have to think he's a dipshit all the time to think when you wrote that you were being a dipshit. And he would do stuff like that all the time. Larry O'Connor would know this, and I, I would tell him, and he would just he would just like wind it, you know, twist the knife in a little bit about like, oh, did you see the new Ben Shapiro piece? Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, and um, you know. Larry, I'm sure, likes Ben Shapiro. And I'm saying I like him, but Ben, come on, when you would write those things. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that, you know what? That's, an, that. that's an easy idea for an article, which is take a look at the top, you know, the top 10 bands ever Beatles, Led Zeppelin, whatever, or the top 10 basketball teams or the top 10 actors. And, and then, then you just write the, the, why they're all the 10 most overrated yeah. <laughs> actors, movies, basketball teams podcast hosts in the country anyway we got off on a little tangent there didn't we uh, oh what so i was Mark saying tapson. that's right about tapson who's taken over for shapiro at horowitz's magazine he also writes for acculturated so tapson was probably one of the most frequent guests on my previous show uh, and almost all of those interactions were specifically about national political elections um Taps and I spent a half hour on Monday, and we didn't even get close to politics. Didn't even didn't even touch on them at all. And and frankly, I loved it. I, he got off the show and he said, "You know what? It's so refreshing to talk for a half an hour on a national show and not be asked for the twelve trillionth time." Are you going to vote for Donald Trump? Yeah, it no, no. Great. Look, it's great to be able to move away from that. Although, you know, I recently talked to uh, Thaddeus McCotter. And he didn't want to say who he supported, but we did talk about Trump. But I didn't have to ask him, is he going to vote? Because he told me he's not. Uh, from uh, Breitbart.com, uh, April 8th, 2012. The top 10 overrated songs of all time by Ben Shapiro. <laughs> oh, wait. let me. You know what? Let me pull that up as well. What's okay. the name of it again? I'm going to... Uh, uh, the top 10 overrated songs of all time, Ben Shapiro, April 8th, 2012. Now, uh, number 10, anything by Lady Gaga? No problem. All right. We're, we're getting off. Well, wait, hold, hold on a second. Let, let Even me, Poker Face. Let me pull it up. Top 10 rated songs of all time, I, I April need to 8th. vamp while you type? No, no, now I got it. Okay. How could anything by Lady Gaga be considered highly rated for it to be in the category of discussion. I don't know. For Let's overrated. talk to the youngest person in the room. Uh, you don't have to be a fan, Captain EO, but you feel like Lady Gaga, there is a great deal of appreciation for her as an artist, yes? Yeah. By other people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to say that you like her. So I, I get that. Um, number nine, one by U2. I don't love you too. A lot of people do. I, I love you too. I've seen them in concert four times. Okay, I don't. I'm not saying. I'm saying I don't love them. I don't dislike them. There's. It's very hit or miss. There are things that I think are good. I'm not a big Zuropa era U2 guy. Right. But I like when they sound like a rock band. One I think is a good song. Uh, number eight. This is when it gets into the. Part oh, you know what? Good. I know why Shapiro doesn't like that song. Why? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, right there. It's about Jesus. <laughs> All right. No, That's it. Number eight, my generation, the who. All right, shut up. Number seven, born to run, Bruce Springsteen. Go fuck yourself. Are you I kidding me? I hate Bruce Springsteen. Well, I don't like you then. <laughs> you know what? You're uh, on, uh, let's see here, tomorrow, 
Evan Sayett is going to be on, and we're going to talk about Bruce Springsteen. He, Evan Sayett describes himself as knowing more about Bruce Springsteen than any man in North America. So you're going to have Evan Sayett on. I'm going to have Evan Sayett on. I thought you were going to try and have comedians on the show. Number six, Stairway to Heaven <laughs> by Led Zeppelin. All right, that is overrated. But it's like when you first hear it, it is a great song, and then it gets you get beaten over the head with it. Okay, Stairway to Heaven is the single greatest rock song that has ever been recorded. Yeah, no, I'm just saying you get beaten down by that song that it's like I don't hear it on the radio and think like I'm going to sit and enjoy this. I've just heard it too many times. Yeah, but it's how a great is it song. Over, overblown. If, if, I'm not saying I agree with it. Okay, go yeah. ahead. I'm still mad about Born to Run. But anyway, <laughs> Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Why does he just hate music? I don't know, but it just gets worse. London Calling by The Clash. Andrew How Breitbart. is that overrated? That that song was so it was transformative to the music to the music Look, scene. One thing I hate is uh, people do this for political purposes a lot. They they invoke the name of Andrew Breitbart, and you know he would have you know supported this or that. He would like that. But in terms of his website, somebody trashing the Clash. I don't think he would have been okay with that showing up on there. Now, he would definitely agree with number three, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, because he hated Nirvana, because he thought it you know, was the end of all the bands that he liked. Uh, Which I'm of was a, true. I'm of a certain age that uh, I like that song a lot because of when it came out when I was in high school, and I think that they have much better songs than that. But that's, that's the gateway Nirvana I song. like the Moulin Rouge version of that song. Oh, it's all about the version in Pan, sung by Captain Hook. Actually, not Captain Hook. Whatever the other guy's name is. Hugh Jackman's character. Hugh Jackman. Oh, Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. When Wolverine sings you some Nirvana, I'll tell you what, it's awful. <laughs> Number two, Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. Eh, I'm not a big Dylan guy. So, no. You know, I'm, I'm not, not at all. Not disagreeing with him as much as I thought I would. This isn't, this isn't the best of these lists that drove me crazy, but I'm not going to look for another one. Number one, Imagine by John Lennon. You know what? If John Lennon wanted to imagine a, a world where everybody was happy, good for him. You know, that's fine. It, it, things would be okay if John Lennon's song had actually happened. So. Can you just tell me, is there any like explanation for any of these? Oh, ratings? they're really oh, yeah, long. They're paragraphs. really long, and I'm not even, yeah. Can you give me like an excerpt? Uh, let me read you from what it's yeah. here about Imagine. There yeah. are no words for how truly evil and terrible this song is. Kurt Schlichter's done a masterful job. I, like, I do like Kurt Schlichter. Schlichter but... was my guest uh, uh, last Tuesday. Hmm. Uh, Kurt Schlichter has done a masterful job of epically fis- fisking this small shard of utter and complete rubbish. First, the aesthetics. It begins with some pretentious piano chords to set the mood. This will be a deep song. Pretentious piano it, chord? Yeah, it is a deep song, by yeah. the way. Bro, bro, uh, <laughs> tame it down. What's with the piano? <laughs> Lennon, and then he goes on. Lennon sings it cloy- in cloyingly whiny fashion like a schoolgirl who has discovered that there are starving people in Africa for the first time. That's what he was saying. Yeah, wow. that's what he said. I want to hear. I want to know what his playlist is. Like, what are you listening to? Uh, Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> uh, Percy Faith. Maybe some Oak Ridge Boys. Elvira. Very nice guys. We'd have them maybe, on the show every year. Maybe Shapiro's the kind of guy that's like, you know what? Uh, I heard that's, I heard a song from one of my favorite bands on 98.7 Alternative Radio, and now they're dead to me because they're getting played. Or it's like, you know what? Yeah. My, my favorite bands have not recorded anything. Mm. <laughs> maybe he's that guy. Yeah. Well, my, here's, here's the thing, though. Uh, what Ben Shapiro set out to do... 
I mean, that piece is from almost four years ago. Right. And here I am. I just read it on my podcast. And we're talking about it. We're talking it. about it. So yeah. he did something right there. What were you going to say, Jeff? Well, I was going to say my favorite band is Jesus. The sounds <laughs> of the earth are the greatest melody. Yeah. You know what? Ben Shapiro thinks your favorite band is overrated. So what do you think about that? Okay. That Fuck is you. Awesome. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's not what we expected to talk about tonight. Well, was we can awesome? talk favorite bands. Let's go through it real quick. Sure. EO, Blatt. What are your favorite bands? Well, let's start with you because it's your idea. So uh, that's a really hard question for me. Well, just you know, what? we're not going to rank them in any kind of order. Just say a couple bands that you really like, and if you leave one off, you can chime in another time. Okay. But if I had to um, now, can I can I pick an artist who's been in a couple of different bands? Yes. As yes. part of it, okay. Uh, number one on my list would be Chris Cornell. Either in Soundgarden, Audio Slave, or Solio stuff, that would be the top of my list. He is the Spoon Man. He is the Spoon Man. And he's man. a great singer. He's, he is a great he's singer. He's got a fantastic range. So that's you're just going to give us the number one. Well, that's we're, what I said. Who's your favorite? Well, I changed the rules so that it doesn't have to be number one because it's a lot of pressure for Captain EO. So. Yeah, I my musical takes are extremely eclectic. Biggie? If you're on you an island Biggie? and your iPod could only have one artist. Oh, Jesus. That's, it's basically impossible. I, I literally listen to classical music and gangster rap in the same like playlist. I'm, I'm totally the exact same way. It would not be surprising for me to listen to Anya Morricone, instrumental Mozart, or whatever you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I Two have, Live Crew. I have, right now in a playlist, I have Brian Eno's Big Ship nice. and Acid Rap by Chance the Rapper. Chance the Rapper. Okay, Jeez. so All right. if you were forced to load a device with one particular artist and their bands, and that was it. All right, here, let's okay. create a very specific scenario. All right, you're going to have whatever iPod, your phone, whatever the kids have, everything on these days. You're going to drive cross-country. And you can only put one band on that device for that like five six day drive. Just one artist, yeah, just one. It can be. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna cheat right now and yep. say Bowie because, suck it. Okay, there yeah, you go, fine. Bowie. No, okay. that's a great answer. It's a that's great, a great answer. answer. I don't know what I would do with that same scenario that you just put me on, that I just put in. But Bowie had, didn't he just do? Was this like his fortieth album or something? Yeah. So well, I that's was thinking because I was going to. through a lot of things in my mind. I was like, okay, I need a long, like I need a big uh, catalog because I need to have like some diversity in there. Yeah. And then I was like, well, okay, can I cheat and like do a band, but then also include their individual stuff? Because then I go with the Beatles. Then with- because then you can encompass a bunch of different like. Yeah. Other stuff. You could have Ringo in there. You oh, know? God. Yeah, well, okay. And I'm just <laughs> shoving that out. But, uh, you know, I'm, I don't yeah. know. That's a really tough question for me. It, it is It is a very tough question. I heard a song today that was a mix-up of uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s Dead Wrong and David Bowie's Moon Age Daydream. And the song's called Biggie Stardust. And it's just wow. really good. Like, that's really that's good. such a crazy oh, idea. Interesting. Maybe we'll hear that on the way out. Um, now... I don't know that I want to have to answer the same question about the iPod because I don't know that I want to listen to anybody cross country, but you know, Bowie would be a good one, but I'm not going to steal yours. So a lot of music that I like is music that I liked when I was younger and I continue to listen to the same bands who sometimes put out new music. Right. Um, And some of it is attached to performing. So, 
Are they the greatest musicians in my sound library? No, but in terms of bands that I'm most excited to go see perform live, uh, Alice Cooper and Kiss, and I know a lot of those songs and I enjoy them. And Kiss have a lot more bad songs than Alice Cooper does. Yeah, I said it. There's a lot. There's a lot, but there's a lot of really fun ones. There's some good ones, and I have some good memories there. But, um, you know, and then it's like when you have somebody that... And by the way, Hausman, you're hardly the only person I know who doesn't like Bruce Springsteen. But he has... Because there's a lot of people that have good taste. Yeah, and then there's you... I don't know. I was just going to say something completely different I stopped myself. Yeah. Um, I was having drinks uh, a year and a half ago with a buddy. And he and he pulled up my phone and he looks at it and he goes, did you were listening to The Jam, The English Beat, and Audio Slave? Could, Sweet. Could you possibly join us in this decade? <laughs> and he said, okay, here's your assignment. Your assignment is for the next month. Uh, download Slacker, listen to New Alternative first, and nothing else for the next month. <sighs> so last fall, as a result of that, I went in Hollywood, saw New Politics and Bad Sons, which are bands you've probably not heard of, Christian. I know both of them. I do not know either Actually, of them. Actually, a chick that I dated, best friend, is dating the lead singer of Bad Sons. And they're from, they're, I think they're, they're, they're actually from Sherman forever. Oaks. Yeah, no, Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks. Okay, I knew that they're L.A., Seriously, Christian, check out Bad Sons on you know Slacker or whatever, or whatever. you listen to. Yeah, okay. They are a great cool. band. Yeah. Only one album, so I, yeah. I would never pick. I would never pick Bad Sons as my. I'm on an island. Yeah, but I've probably listened to more Bad Sons well, in the last twelve months than anything else. On an island, bands need to be like bands that you've liked your whole life and you know the of songs course. really well. It helps when they have right. a really deep catalog. You know, right. So it's very hard. And I've talked about this, I think, on the podcast, but definitely conversationally. I don't know of music from the 21st century, where people started in the 21st century, where I'm like, oh, I really like that. That's amongst my favorites. I thought I had come up with one in Jack White, and then you look, and he started in the late 90s. So I'm like, all right, so it's not him. And so like a band I really like is uh, Weezer. They put out a new album every couple years. They sure. have one coming out in April. Right. So that I get excited for that. I go see them. They still make good albums. There was one that was a little weak, but for the most part... I, I like that, but their first album came out in 1994. So, and you know, that's 22 years ago. Yeah, I know. So I that, that I don't think the lead singer of Bad Sons has been alive for that. Pro- long. Probably not. Right. Well, look, He's I mean, about 22. Yeah, he is. Hilarious. Alice Cooper's first album came out in 1969. You know, so it's like so did I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so to you speak. know, there's it, it's and it's just it has a lot more to do with me is that I know what I like. And there was a point when I was finding new bands, but it was in the 90s, that era that Andrew Breitbart hated a lot of those bands that I liked, you know? Funny. Yeah. So uh, that's when I found a lot of those bands, and I like some of those musicians. You know, some of them weren't, you know, they're not all Nirvana, you know, a band like the Afghan Wigs that never had, like, a huge following mainstream, but they have, you know, a very devoted, loyal following. And, you know, they, and there's, like, offshoot groups that, like, Form. They're a perfect example. The singer for the Afghan Wigs, his side project, which was a secondary band, formed in the 2000s, the Twilight Singers. But I'm like, well, that's like his old band. It doesn't count. So I don't know. What do I need? So Bad Sons, what was the other one you said? Um, 
New politics. Mm, you know what? I'd listen to Arctic Monkeys before uh, that. You know, sense. I've heard Arctic Monkeys. That's, what about Tame Impala? I don't, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know how to oh. spell it. I think you get a shot to clear that up, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the belt. There we go. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, Christian, Bad Sons. Okay. Um, and I, I've never heard them on the radio at all. I'm sure they have. Uh, but, Cardiac arrest, I think. I've oh, heard. okay. That makes sense. Um, and I understand they got a new album, or they're recording it I don't this know, I, spring I, or summer. Stop dating that girl about a year ago. No, uh, I, okay. I don't know nothing no more. I'm just pleased. I got to, introduced to them like really briefly and was like, oh, this is really good music, and I like it a lot. And then like stopped seeing the girl and was like, okay, bye. See you later. <laughs> All right. So, Christian, Bad Sons, yep. definitely recommend it, but then also Arctic Monkeys. Okay. Arctic Monkeys. Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, right. them I've heard, and I think that they have a song that I remember, Arctic Monkeys. Anyway, our guest, Michael Hausam, you have the radio show, House Rules, 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 Eastern, on stations across this great country. You can listen online, and for those particulars, go to houserules.us. Because you have a show in the morning, we should probably let you go, shouldn't we? I appreciate that. You know what we need to do, Christian? What's that? I know that that 7 seven to 8 time is prime Felix time for you. Yes, it is. What we might need to do is pre-record some time together. Yeah, I'd actually love to be on the show. And, you know, I can can probably work it out where... God forbid I'll wake him up early and feed him at like 6.30, which that'll throw my whole day off, but I'll do We're it not, for you. Okay, that's something we could do. The other thing is, like, I pre-recorded a short segment this afternoon. I would not—I would—in fact, I would be honored to pre-record a segment— in which we pretended we were live I love it. at 7 o'clock in the And then I'll listen morning. back at 7 o'clock in the morning, and Felix will look up and be like, Daddy, you're trapped in the radio. And, and I'm like, yup. Daddy, that is so sexy. Well, Mr. Housem, thank you so much for uh, coming up here to uh, beautiful Los Angeles from the even more beautiful beach where you live. But we appreciate it. You're on Twitter at MP House. House Rules. Dot us for more information on the radio show. And uh, thank you, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Everybody listen to Housem's show, and we will listen to this. Explain to our listeners again what this is. This is Biggie Stardust made by Terry Urban. It is Dead Wrong by Biggie and Bowie's Moon Age Daydream. We'll see you next time on the Blackcast, blackcast.com.